democracy that reaches the highest level. I only know a few people who are involved in it. I'm not sure exactly all the people involved, but I just know it's a conspiracy that reaches the highest level. See, I have a somewhat difficult job sometimes. I have to do a lot of juggling sometimes. And, and last week, on behalf of the entire leadership, I was supposed to get up and, and broadcast this big vision, this, this call for us as a church to do something. And when I got up here to the podium, waiting for me was this picture. I don't know if you noticed, but when I got up to the table last week, I looked down and going, oh, man. I'm supposed to be all serious, right? Now, you know, it's, a, it's an okay job. There's just one slight problem. The tattoo's wrong. I'm just saying... If we have enough time during the talent show tonight, maybe I'll do some of those poses that won me the world championship. So I wanted to leave something up here today because Larry's going to be doing our wrap-up today. And I wanted to leave something for him, but I thought, no, I'll, I'll be the, beggar, the, the bigger man here. Uh, well, let's begin with an introductory idiom. There we go. An idiom. One more. There we go. It's an idiom. You, sir, are the idiom. Are you familiar with the idiom about the forest and the trees? The one that says you can't see the forest for the trees. What this means is we can get so focused on a minor detail that we forget to consider the bigger picture. Here's how this works in our life. If our life is a story, we get stuck in one particular chapter of that story. And getting stuck in that particular chapter, what it does, it prevents us from appreciating, seeing, being part of the greater, the grander, the deeper story of redemption that God is writing for us. That's what we see in John chapter 4. In this chance encounter of Jesus and the woman from Samaria at the well. And so today, let's just explore one idea, that the gospel, which is God's unfolding story of redemption, is greater than the individual chapters of our life. His larger story of redemption is greater than the individual chapters of our life. Now, think about the woman from Samaria for just a second. Think about what we know about her Think about what the Bible talks about and, and teaches us about her. We know that she is, first of all, defined by some things that are in and out of her control. We also know that those things which define her confine her as well. And there are things that are in and out of her control. For example, the first thing is that she's a woman. And the second thing is that she is a Samaritan woman. And the third thing is that she bears the brunt of one failed relationship after another. Now, none of these parts of her story, though, 
prevent her from not only experiencing Jesus, from engaging with Jesus, but none of these chapters of her story prevent her from being drawn in to the story of Jesus, to the greater story of redemption. Now, we've already talked about the strained relationships between Jewish people and Samaritan people in that day, so we're not going to backtrack over that ground. Just say that it was a strained relation because of political reasons, because of religious reasons, and also because of cultural reasons. But let's look at those three things right quick. Two of those things are out of her control. Where she was born, she has no control over where she was born. I mean, just ask Rob, who to this day is still bitter about being denied his birthright as a Texan. We have no control over where we're born. And so to to look at somebody as if they're a second-class person because of where they were born, She has no control that she was born a woman. And, and in a society, I, I wish I could say, in a society like then that still treats women as second-class citizens, but boy, it doesn't seem in many ways that we've advanced very far. She has no control of that. And so she's living in these two situations that not only define her, but they confine her as well. (laughs) But that's the person whom Jesus Jesus chooses to meet at the well. That's why he makes the decision to leave when he does and to travel the route that he does and to arrive at that very point. For this moment in time, I love this because this encounter is filled with so many surprises. John chapter 4 is is like a jewelry box that we've discovered. And and we open up that jewelry box and there's just one precious gemstone and piece of jewelry, one after another. And and while the temptation may be to just dump it all out, we just want to look at each one of them one at a time and see what's happening. I love verse 9 because it's like this Joe Piscopo moment because Jesus is talking to her and she's like, you talking to me? She's surprised that Jesus is talking to her. I mean, don't you see? She's surprised that Jesus is talking to her. Now, we have parenthetical notes there in the text because we are so far removed from what's happening during this day, and the the parenthetical notes tell us that, that she is surprised really for two reasons. First, that she is a Samaritan and he is a Jew, and the second reason is that she is a she and he is a he, that those two reasons converge together to cause her to be surprised. But there's something else that we miss. There's something else that we miss, especially when we don't understand the, how much burden and, and, and how burdensome religious tradition and religious views were back then, because to drink after a Samaritan woman would be considered defiling. Defiling. So here she is surprised that, that first of all, that Jesus is talking to her because he's a Jew and she's a Samaritan and he's a he and she's a she, but she's surprised that he's asking her for water. Hmm. 
that she's, he's willing to drink after her. Now, just suffice it to say that she is used to being treated much differently than Jesus in this moment is treating her. She's, she's used to the kind of treatment that we would expect from the lyrics of the Guess Who. I wanted to make a big joke about that name, but I don't have time. You know, right? Samaritan woman, stay away from me. Samaritan woman, mama, let me be. You know, that's what she's used to. That's the experience she has. But these two things are out of her control, that she's a woman and where she was born. But these two things do not prevent her from taking part in God's great story of redemption. We get that, right? Here's the part that might be a little harder to get that neither do her life choices keep her from being part of God's great story of redemption. The decisions that she has made in her life do not prevent Jesus from coming to her, from engaging with her, and making her part of God's great story of redemption. Now, now, we don't know, but we could probably presume that as far as her failed marriages go, that maybe she had something to do with that. Maybe she didn't. I just know this. I don't know of very many girls who grow up dreaming, boy, I hope someday I can have five failed marriages. So she comes to Jesus in a most vulnerable moment, in a most vulnerable time of her life, she has a record of failure behind her. And so there's this moment where this painful reality of this, it's not just one chapter in her life, it's five chapters. One chapter after another, after another, it all comes to what could be a very embarrassing and painful head when Jesus says to her, now go call your husband and come back. Boy, there's, there's something we miss. There's something we miss when we're able to have conversations with somebody because of their deep care and their deep love and, and our deep trust in them. That we can talk about the most painful things that have happened to us. And it not be something that drives us away from the cross, that drives us away from Christ but draws us even closer to Him because she just says, I have no husband. And, and it's not that it just stops there. You know, we live in a time, we live in a day, we live in an age where we're forced to choose truth or love. Why? Why are we forced to choose one over the other? And so when Jesus responds to her, he says, you know, you're right in saying you have no husband. You've had five, and the man that you're currently with is not your husband. Boy, I don't know about you. <laughs> I've been told a time or two in my life the things that I've done wrong, and I just couldn't wait to get away from the person. Just couldn't wait. 
What do I have to do to, to tell you whatever it is that you need to hear so that you will leave me alone? And I don't ever want to talk to you again. You know, it's the way that people come and talk to you. And there have been people in my life who talk to me with such hmm, gentleness and love. And even things that I'm aware of, that I know of, and I just, I, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart that I've, that I've brought that on someone else. The Jesus we meet in John 4 is the Jesus that we need to meet. He's the Jesus that John opens up his gospel and says he is full of grace and truth. He doesn't choose one over the other. He uses grace in the giving of truth. He uses truth in the giving of grace. Listen, sometimes life is not a Christmas Hallmark movie. Sometimes it's better. And sometimes it's much, much worse. Sometimes life and situations and circumstances, they do not unfold as you would like or as you would expect. And as we said last week, even as a church, Some of those things are in our control, but some of those things are outside of our control. And we can lose ourselves getting stuck in just one chapter of our life, but we cannot let these parts, these stories, these chapters of our life be the only chapter and prevent us from being part of God's great and glorious unfolding story of redemption. Don't you see? He's choosing to involve every single one of us in His great and glorious unfolding story of redemption. What we learn with Nicodemus is that your morality will not get you into the kingdom. And what we learn from the woman at the well is your lack of morality doesn't keep you from the kingdom either. Both Nicodemus and the woman at the well need the same thing from Jesus. They need renewal. They need transformation. They need to be with Him, to become like Him. And, you know, this is one of the most amazing things, and I hate to do this to you, but we're saving it for next week. That in a very practical way, She does what Jesus did. This woman at the well, her story, it's our story. It really is. I mean, her struggle is our struggle. Her life is our life. Her experience is our experience. The painful chapters of her story are the painful chapters of our story. But the gospel speaks truth into the painful parts of our story. And the gospel says it's not the successful chapters, it's not the failing chapters, it's the gospel story that's writing a new story onto our hearts. But there's so much more here, and we're so out of time. Do you realize? How would she know this? That the one who made water is asking her, for a drink of water. The one who made water is asking her for water. This this is the Jesus we need to meet. 
I mean, He comes to this woman vulnerable. He comes to this woman tired. He comes to this woman weary. He comes to this woman exhausted and says to her, the living water says to her, I thirst. You know, there's two times in the Gospel of John where Jesus asks for a drink of water. The first one is here in John chapter 4. And the second one is in John chapter 19, when Jesus is on the cross. According to John's narrative, he has five words left to say. Five words. We know his last two words, or his last three words are, it is finished. It is finished. But John tells us, that knowing his time was about to end, knowing that the hour of his departure was hastening, knowing that he was staring full into completing his accomplished work on our behalf, Jesus says, I thirst. If you're familiar with the story, you know what they give him. They give him bitter water. See? He drinks bitter water. So we might drink the sweet water of life and salvation. He is parched so that we can be drenched. He cries out, I thirst, so that we can cry out in faith, as this woman from Samaria does, give me this living water. Let's pray. Father, there are so many times when we feel defined by our failure. We feel confined to the story that, yeah, maybe we did mess it up. And we feel like these are the only chapters of our life. I pray that right now that you break in and make us understand and realize the sweetness of the accomplished work of Jesus on the cross, that your Holy Spirit right now is speaking deep words of truth and grace to our hearts, that this thirst that we have, that we keep going to one well after another, after another, after another, that we realize that it is only fully satisfied, we are only fully satiated with the living water that you give us. You know our past, you know our present, you know our future, and you invite us to be part of God's great story, for which we say, thank you, through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand together, and as we share in singing a song together, if you would like to respond today. If you want to receive the living water that Jesus offers, if you would like uh, one of our elders to pray for you as they're gathered down front, and we will do that together. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious jewel, or to give up, I'd be a fool. You are my all in all. Jesus, shame rising again, I bless your name.
my all in all. When I fall down, you pick me up. When I am dry, you fill my cup. You are my all in all. Jesus, Lamb of 